Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Uh, it's the first day of school for me and my kids. I don't know about for you. you We're you're, a couple weeks in. Everyone, kids have settled in. Settled transitions. in. Settled in. It's a it's a tumultuous time of year, but uh, obviously uh, not true of all of the country, Bill. But here in Southern DMZ, we're enjoying one of those amazing weather days. It's it's about uh, seventy two and sunny and no humidity. So uh, it start. No, it's going to get super hot. Uh, over Labor Day, but for now, it's starting to feel dare say autumnal, Bill. Are you just r- rubbing it into all of our hurricane ravage fans in uh, Florida and Georgia and Carolinas? I would not take a cheap shot like that. Uh, but I'm happy to see that uh, it seems like um, it maybe not as bad as we feared it would be. And I've been happy to see how uh, Governor DeSantis and Joe Biden have generally been acting like adults Uh communicating with each other through this crisis. Maybe Biden should go down there and give DeSantis a big hug, because that usually really helps Republicans in a in a presidential primary. That would be interesting. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Um, but I, I, I think you got to wait a few days before you can fully judge you know, a disaster response. But it's, it's not DeSantis' first hurricane. I think last time around, there was a little bit of criticism about you know, did the, the evacuation warnings go out soon enough, but it never really metastasized into a major scandal for DeSantis. So I, I assume he will be seen as handling this um, professionally, but I don't assume that's going to change the trajectory of the campaign. Because it's the kind of thing where if you do it well, nobody really notices. And if you do it poorly, everybody notices. And uh, so it's not going to, so long as he does it okay, we're, we're, we're at status quo, which is him still fizzling out. Yeah, I guess in that regard, it's like being a referee in the Super Bowl. Nobody wants it to be about you. And if you do a good job, nobody notices. But I think that's a little bit unfortunate. Um, being a governor, being an executive and, and managing competently and compassionately, a crisis should be a feather in your cap. And I'm, I imagine that there, tell me, Bill, you're, you're the history buff here. Uh, has anyone been able to parlay the successful management of a disaster into political points? Like a, of a natural disaster? I can't, I can't think of it. I, I can only think of ones that have gone poorly and have harmed, uh, harmed Snowstorms, yeah. uh, levees breaking, uh, the the streets are littered with the political corpses uh, of of you know it, so the the snowstorm was that Lindsay John Lindsay who who got blamed for the big snowstorm that nobody the the I guess they didn't do an adequate job of uh, clearing the streets in Queens or something uh, I don't remember um, I was there for the the DC blizzard. <laughs> In the late '90s, that I think took a little bit of a shine off Marion Barry, but obviously that's not what ultimately did him in. Well, in any event, our thoughts and prayers are with those affected, and it does seem like we uh, have avoided maybe, you know, it could have been much worse. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of damage, and I saw that only like 18% of Floridians have flood insurance. 
So yeah, there's definitely uh, been a bit of rumbling that DeSantis has mishandled the insurance industry in Florida. More insurers are pulling out because um, the risks are just too high. Uh, and I'm I'm not steep enough in the subject to know. You know, should, DeSantis should have done this. He should have passed this law. I, I don't. I I just can't speak uh, competently about it. But I do that's 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 been out there as something that uh, is. A, a demerit on the gubernatorial record. Well, um, in any event, uh, it seems unlikely that this will will give DeSantis the kind of boost that would uh, change the trajectory of of the race. Bill, I had a piece um, this week in the Daily Beast. You know, last week was my Vivek week, and we talked about Vivek Ramaswamy mm-hmm. right here mm-hmm. in the DMZ. Um, he kind of won the attention economy battle, I think, during the debate, and it was he was in the center of all the skirmishes. But I really felt like Nikki Haley was someone who was, um, you know, I she impressed. I have to say, she overperformed. And so I had a piece this week saying, uh, you know, on one hand, you might think based on that performance, maybe it's time to start coalescing around Nikki Haley, not Ron DeSantis, but Nikki Haley as the non-Trump, the the counter to Trump. Uh, and people like David Brooks at the New York Times have written columns making that argument. My concern, Bill, is that uh, Nikki Haley has been all over the map. She had a great debate and seemed very tough, stood up to Donald Trump for his spending. Um, you know, I think mixed it up with, with uh, Vivek over Ukraine and Russia. But maybe next week she'll do something stupid. And, and so I don't have a lot of confidence in her ability to uh, string together two or three performances. Well, you know, her chronic problem is that she can't reconcile being, you know, the adult in the room candidate or the Trump light candidate. Uh, every time she says something that's sort of modestly reasonable, say, on foreign policy is mixed in with an obvious gimmick, like, you know, competency tests for politicians over 75. Uh, and uh, it, it never really gels into something that makes you feel like this is just a solid person who you can trust to lead you into battle. There's always an element of political opportunism in there uh, that makes you pause. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, this goes back to, I wrote a piece about Vivek, where I talk about how the worst get on top. And in a, in a corrupt system, the worst people get on top because they're willing to do what they have to do to, uh, to get on top. And I think the Republican Party is essentially a, a culture, a, a system that rewards, you know, that has perverse incentives. So I understand why Nikki feels the need every once in a while to play that game. I just I just think you have to pick a lane. And I think that that what she really risks doing is um, alienating every both sides. You know, so uh, the same people who like her debate performance eventually get turned off by some of the stunts and some of the pandering she'll do. And then it's not like the I mean, Donald Trump supporters aren't going to abandon Donald Trump just because she said something MAGA sounding once. Right. So uh, my advice to her would be give up the pandering, give up the cheap stuff, uh, 
run as a serious, thoughtful, center-right politician and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, maybe last week's debate was her pivot towards that. I mean, she went farther in certain areas that I would have expected her to go, you know, criticizing Trump over uh, rising debt. Um, you know, not that I agree with her position, but trying to cut a moderate-ish path on abortion, uh, saying climate change is real. Uh, very unusual in the modern GOP to hear someone say that so bluntly. Uh, and of course, the foreign policy of trying to like, you know, school Vivek on his, you know, slapdash America first type positions. And she uh, did it in a way that was strong, too. That's also key. You can't be Jeb making those arguments from sort of a weak position. She was making these very forcefully and eloquently, which I think is an important part. I mean, I... I I still say, you know, Jeb's, you know, Trump, uh, Trump's the chaos candidate be a chaos president. I thought he delivered that in a strong way. He just it was it was just, you know, too little too late. Uh, but it's a, it's, it's a it's an exchange and it's held up over time. Um, but I think there's something temperamental that in the Republican brain, you know, what is it, the Bill Clinton line where he says um, it's better to be strong and wrong than mm -hmm. weak and right. And I think that's super true in today's Republican Party, like even truer today than it was, you know, when Clinton said it, just generally speaking. Um, and so I do think it matters. Like if you're going to make a thoughtful, moderate-ish point, you cannot do it in a tepid, temperamentally weak way. And so I think Nikki was really combining. Um, I thought it just was excellent. I thought the debate was great. Keep well, it also, up. now let's not overhype this. I mean, so I'm just looking at the national polling pre-debate you know, she was generally running, you know, two, three, four, a couple of fives. Uh, now when you look at it, uh, the national party is generally running between three and seven, but she got 111 in there from the, the quickie poll from Insider Advantage. And I think there was some Iowa polling, at least from Trump's internal pollster, that showed her with a more significant bump, but again, getting into like, I think in the low, you know, low double digits. Uh, this, is a, it's, this is a twitch of the needle. You know, we're so hungry for any kind of primary news that we're very quick to say, Surge, we are really talking about some modest bumps here that don't really change the fundamental dynamic of the race. Uh, yeah. we, we've seen them do this with Vivek, Vivek bumps or Tim Scott bumps. They're all pretty minor. You're, they got, they got. She has to string a lot more after this. Any one of them. I mean, if you're not cracking high teens, twenty something. I mean, it's hard to really get that excited and think that something's yeah. brewing here. No, I agree. It's, um, you know, this is admittedly Donald Trump's Donald Trump's race to lose, and and uh, and I, I concede every point you made, but. Um, you know, they make us do this show every week, Bill. <laughs> the, elect the electric shock collar goes off if we don't record well, I think, it. Well, I think you and I, whenever we do it, we, we put things in proper context. I feel they're, they're beat reporters. I don't mean to be mean about it. I mean, they, they have jobs, they have editors, they have bosses they have to report to. There's definitely a pressure to try to make every little twinge seem like a breathless, you know, exciting moment. And you guys take a step back and be like, okay, you know, this is... It's fine to cover it, 
the the play play by play, but put it in context. This is yeah. still nowhere near a competitive primary. Heard, Chef. Uh, totally right. Um, but I would say this. I think this does demonstrate what could be the start. It's possible that um, that this was the beginning, and that Nikki Haley will um, take this first step and continue to eventually have Republicans coalesce around her as as Ron DeSantis collapses, if that happens. But here's where I think it may not happen that way, Bill. So Nikki then goes on Fox News like a day or two later. And I didn't I didn't see this whole segment, but she's apparently on some sort of shtick about she's running against Kamala Harris. She's not running against Joe Biden. She's right. running against Kamala Harris. Right. Which like, A, I don't understand why she's doing this because it's actually not true. Uh, I think the odds are better that Joe Biden will still be the nominee in 2024 than that Kamala Harris will be. B, I think the contrast with Joe Biden's great for Nikki. I think you could, I think Nikki could argue if you want to win this election, if you want to beat Joe Biden, look at the contrast. Like she would be the best Republican like on paper, I think, to go up against Joe Biden for a whole bunch of reasons, including the generational change reason. Well, I think when she's saying that, she is implicitly saying Joe Biden's going to die. <laughs> And Kamala's going to be the next president after him if Joe Biden wins. So that's I'm a dumb thing to say. That's not the serious, thoughtful. No, it's it's not. I mean, that's why the game I mean, is always it's cheap. at the end of the day. But but Chris Christie's done the same bit. Um, and let's see if either one of them tells Mitch McConnell to resign. I mean, yeah. Mitch McConnell. I mean, it's always hard to diagnose from afar. So. With that caveat in mind, uh, it, it certainly seems like Mitch McConnell is having a genuine neurological episode after suffering a concussion. And similarly, it seems like Dianne Feinstein has had significant memory issues over the course of you know months, if not years, that have been reported um, you know through anonymous whispering and perhaps in some directly from uh, re- from direct reporting, although sometimes it's hard to know like what's really a memory lapse and what's sort of a you know, brain fart. Um, well, we saw somebody having a staffer having to tell her how to vote like that. Like that one. I'm not, I, I bet you could catch like 50 staffers <laughs> telling 50 senators that regardless of age, you know, because people are busy. They got a lot of things on their plate. They was like, what are we doing this one? So like that one, like in and of itself, doesn't make me jump to say like, okay, her memory shot look bad. Well, here's the other thing, Bill. Um, it's it was reported that one of her daughter, I guess her daughter, has limited power of attorney. Now this could mean a whole bunch of things. A limited power of attorney could mean that uh, the senator's too busy and that she's outsourced signing some documents to someone else. It could mean that they both have the ability to sort of sign uh, contracts. Or it could mean that someone who is voting, one of the 100 people voting in the U.S. Senate, cannot sign a contract for herself. Mm-hmm. has to have her daughter manage her affairs. Like, that would, if, I mean, again, we don't know because it's a limited power of attorney. Um, but that in and of itself, I think, would be uh, 
a disturbing revelation if it's true. Well, so it seems like there's really some legitimate neurological issues. Admit that they raise legitimate questions. Maybe I can't go so far as you're like, I know you're unfit to serve by what I've seen. You must quit. But just, 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 just me personally, I'd be reluctant taking it that far. But enough has happened where you'd be like, okay, it's time to ask some questions. Let's get some doctor's reports, that kind of thing. I don't think it's fair to say that Biden has done any, has had an ex, at a moment of, of that severity. He has goofy things, um, just things that. But he he's been goofy for a long time. You know he, you know some people say he for he seemed to know that Jackie Werlorski had died a month after she was killed in the car crash, and was wondering where she was in the room. But this is also the same guy that told a guy in a wheelchair stand up. This is the same yeah. guy that when he was announced for. And that's his VP referred to Barack America. You know, they, there's always been weird <laughs> stuff with Joe Biden. Uh, so I, it's short of me saying, like, I know, like, your brain is deteriorating. Um, whereas if Joe Biden had a press conference and he froze for 30 seconds, like, that's it. Like, he could not run after that. Uh, there would be way too disturbing. And I, I just don't think he's done anything at that level. Yeah. But so if you're Christie or Haley and you've been making a big deal about Joe Biden's age and health, like I think it would be wise for them. I mean, be beyond whether it's, whether it's totally fair or not, be like Mitch McConnell should step down. Or at least be step consistent. Down, at least step down as Senate minority leader. He could retain his seat. Um, but is he in the condition to be the leader of the Republicans? Now, you and I have had this conversation before. Which is, uh, you may not like Mitch McConnell, but you're, you're going to miss him when he's gone. I'm totally in that space. Yeah. And we don't have to rehash that. I know we've, we've discussed that here. Um, but Mitch McConnell is someone that Joe Biden can deal with and they can negotiate. Um, and who would, would it be John Cornyn? Would it be Barrasso? Well, Thune uh, is the one who's lined up. Thune is number two. Thune. Um, and I and I heard um, I think it was Laura Ingram said on Fox essentially that uh, this shouldn't be another establishment person. Like she's already trying to whip people up to deny it to a John Thune or a John Thune type person. So I don't know. I, I don't. I, I can't say I know enough about the internal Senate dynamic. Uh, how much we think people are at their core establishmentarians and are happy to give it to the guy next in line or how many are in like the Rick Scott space that want to, you know, mix it up and disrupt and turn the Senate into another uh, more polar, more polarizing environment. No, I'm not too worried about it. I mean, I think it's smart for Laura Ingram to make this a cause that she can get buzz and attention out of, but, you know, Rick Scott tried to challenge Mitch McConnell like a few, what, less than a year ago, and he got destroyed. Um, it's Republican senators are voting um, on this. And so I'm pretty confident that it would stay within like the Thune, Barrasso, uh, Cornyn world. Well, Barrasso is um, more hardcore than Thune or Cornyn. Who's that? Barrasso is more hardcore out of those three. Well, I think they're all, I mean, I guess my, my question would be, and I don't know enough about the Senate um, to, uh, to answer this, but like, would, would they be more susceptible to being bullied by like the Josh Hollies and the Ted Cruz's of the world or the Donald Trump's of the world than Mitch McConnell? Like, would they effectively become Kevin McCarthy 
So, I mean, I think Mitch McConnell. Well, well, Kevin, look, I mean, my my opinion is there's there's one tier. Who can you count on to avoid a debt limit breach and avoid or minimize government shutdowns? Mitch McConnell is that kind of guy. I think John Thune is that kind of guy. I think John Cornyn's probably that kind of guy. I don't. I, I'm not as sure about Barrasso. Maybe he is, even though he's I seems mean, like a nice guy. I don't know as much about him. You know his 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 record. Then there's like a tier. Then like one tier after that. Who's willing to do an infrastructure bill at 60 votes? Who's willing to let a gun safety bill go through at 60 votes? Uh, we know Mitch McConnell is that guy. Uh, we know John Cornyn is to some extent that guy, and um, and Thune is to some extent that guy. That but Barrasso maybe I'm not I'm not saying I have intimate knowledge. Like I'm not sure if Barrasso is like a is like a debt limit breach guy. I don't know if he is an infrastructure bill guy. I don't think he's voted for any of those bills in the past two years that got the sixty. I'd have to go back and check. I don't think so. Um, and then so of it course, seems like you know Thune probably has the inside track on this. Um, and I don't know. I mean, he's sort of uh, he's from South Dakota. We know that he's very tall. We've been told that. That's kind of what I know about him. I mean, he's obviously, uh, and he's in the establishment. Well, like he's, endorsed, he's endorsed Tim Scott, right? He's so we know he's not a Trumper because he's literally endorsed somebody else. So there you have it. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what we know about mm -hmm. him. Um, look, I I cannot imagine uh, that McConnell can finish out his term as the Republican leader. He was just reelected in 2020, right? So he's got a good ways to go. Can he, can he get to 2024? Well, and we've had these two incidents in like, what, a span of six weeks? Mm -hmm. um, after well, and he look, I, and to be, I, again, I like to hear from an actual doctor. I mean, it is possible, like it's possible to have a stroke and recover from a stroke. Like not, not every neurological episode is irreversible. Uh, so if he's having a hard time right now, but is going to get better, yeah. like, people are allowed to have health episodes and, re and have recovery time. So uh, I don't, I, I think it would be unfair to say, based on what I've seen, like you need to get out right now, but it raises enough questions that you'd want to hear from a medical professional to know what the deal is. And then I think that's incumbent upon McConnell and his people to put that out and to to do that. But, you know, the larger theme bill, which we've been hinting at here is this Mitch McConnell's 82, right? Uh, Dianne Feinstein is the oldest U.S. Senator. Um, Joe Biden is very slow, <laughs> very slow uh, when he talks. And then you've got, um, you know, John Fetterman in the Senate. So what's we get, you know, you, you know, Fetterman's had a stroke uh, with Fairly significant repercussions. You know, uh, Ben Ray Luan has had a stroke. I think Von Holland, if I remember correctly. I don't um, remember. Uh, you know, you don't have to be old to have a health problem. Uh, so that's so why I, I really dislike, I, I, I responded to Congressman Dean Phillips, who's not my favorite congressman these days. I, I wrote a piece earlier about how his, his data wasn't right. Uh, in terms of saying that Joe Biden was in a weak place and, sh and, and we can have a competitive primary. He had a tweet yesterday saying, this is an argument for term limits. I know you're on the term limits train after your book, but like, there's no connection between having a health problem and term limits. 
Um, it doesn't bolster the argument. You can have a health problem in your first day. And I mean, John Fetterman's in his first term had a health issue. Um, now, do you want to say? But I think it's pretty clear that, you know, the longer, the older you are, the more likely. And well, so sure, we, more likely. But is that a, but is that a fair standard? You, are you, do we draw crude lines based on probabilities or based on the individual case? Well, we, we draw lines in other cases. I mean. Vivek wants to raise the voting age to 25. That's, that's, that's stupid. <laughs> I think it's the least crazy idea he has. Um, I mean, he, 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 I don't like, I know, I know what this total aggression, but I, I want to make this point. His argument is if you're 18 to 24, you should have to pass a civics test yeah. or serve in the military to be able to vote. And this same person says that if he was in Mike Pence's position on January 6th, he would have called on the Congress to pass a law calling for a do-over election. And this is the guy telling me that people younger than him need to pass a civics test. Well, like, did he say the did he say a do-over election? Yes. I, I mean, he used that phrase, but he said he, they should have a new election with single-day voting and paper ballots. See, okay, this is interesting. You're talking about meet the press. I have heard so many different interpretations of what okay my interpretation of what he said having listened to meet the press watched it was he was saying that mike pence this is this is my interpretation that he was saying that mike pence should have in the build up to january 6th have have uh actually in the build up my interpretation was actually in the build up to the 2020 election that Pence should have man, you know, should have worked to pass this, not retroactively, but uh, but I'm even more confused now about what Vivek meant, and I wonder if it's like a, a if it's a Rorschach test that we're hearing different. Well, different the, the, things. this is what Vivek, Vivek said to the National Review, okay, in the spin room debate night before he was on Meet the Press. This okay. is the full. Quote. I've not heard. I've not heard this. Okay. Uh, Oh shoot! I hit the hit an ad. Hold up. Um, so he was he was so he's asked point blank. He he was the one guy who didn't answer directly. It depends to the right thing. He said, "I think I would have done it very differently. I would have done it very differently." So I think there was a historic opportunity that was missed to settle a score in this country. To say that we're actually going to have a national compromise on this single day voting on election day as a federal holiday which I think Congress should have acted in that window between November and January to say paper ballots, government-issued ID. And if that's the case, then we're not going to complain about stolen elections. And if I were there, I would have declared on, I would have declared on January 7th saying now I'm going to win in a free and fair election. Unlike what we saw with big tech and others stealing the election last time around, fix the process. This time around, we get it right, and it was a missed opportunity to deliver national unity. Okay, that but presumably, bonkers. Oh, it is. I totally agree. And either way, I mean, whatever, either interpretation is problematic on so many levels. Um, but I guess is the implication that if Pence Pence had tried to going forward, wouldn't have been retroactive, but Pence would have tried going forward to pass something. Uh, that that was uh, single day voting, paper ballots, and if he wasn't able to get Democrats to go along with that, then he would have refused to certify the election. 
Is that, he, doesn't, he doesn't even get into that scenario. Okay. I don't know, but anyway, it's it, it's it's absurd, um, and I'm not sure how we got uh, got here, except that I do think I don't like the well, idea well, of well, having. Well, I think the point is like we're seeing ageism on both ends of the spectrum. We're seeing a lot of ageism about old people. Uh, Vivek is doing ageism on young people. You're you you prove to me you're smart enough. Yeah. To but no, but my point is, vote. oh, that's that's how we got here because we do discriminate against young people. You can't run a car if you're under the age of 25. You can't drink if you're under the age of 18. You can't, you can't and, vote when you're a baby. You know, I mean, no, but, you but, somewhere. Okay, but why not do it on a case-by-case basis, Bill? Why not make it individually? Why, why, uh, why have these arbitrary ages that aren't even consistent across the board? You suddenly become competent at the age of 21 or at the age of 18. So why would it then be inappropriate to have some sort of rules at the top end? Well, you got to draw a line somewhere. Uh, and we don't want it when it comes to voting, you don't want to draw a line that would allow for any adult to not be able to vote. You don't want to pull tax. You don't have to have, so have to have the whole property. You don't have to have to pass a test to have a say in their democracy. I agree um, with that. But I think raising the age to 25, forget the test, is not is the least crazy idea I've heard from Vivek even if it is a stunt. But I also think like if someone said, um, you know, after the age of 85, you can't serve in the U.S. Senate. Is that would that be a horrible, insane idea? I just I, I there are people over the age of 85. Like Chuck Grassley is a perfectly functioning senator. <laughs> There's no reason why Chuck Grassley shouldn't be allowed to be in the Senate, in my opinion. I mean, I, I don't think it would be. He, how many years does the guy need to be in? He's been in the U.S. Senate for how many years, Bill? I mean, it's. I I I, I saw some, the I term limit. Saw it. I, mean, it may, it may, I can't remember if it was Dean Phil or somebody else, but someone was saying along the lines of, uh, you know, how can we get you know future oriented climate legislation, you know, with all these you know, old fogies in there? I'm like, these people. Got passed the infrastructure bill. These people got passed the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, it it may be that being around a long time gives you some legislative know-how and some wisdom and maybe some detachment from short-term gimmick politics that allows you to actually pass some decent legislation in this world. So, I mean, uh, I'm all for uh, experience and expertise, but I do think there is a point at which uh, you're not. It's not your A game. Um, there's no way that Charles Grassley can identify with what it's like to be a 35 year old, let alone a 50. I mean, it just, it, it, it just, well, there's I, no way a 35 year old can know what it's like to be a retiree. You know I mean? There's, there's no way to be fully understand every single individual in society. I just think, look, I'll do the same thing with driver's licenses. Like I think there's an age at which you should not have a driver's license. And I'm sure that's unpopular with senior citizens who vote, but I'm sorry. If you're 100, you probably shouldn't be driving around. My wife's grandfather, who is incredibly sharp, is 101, and he was driving until like a couple years ago. But you, no exaggeration. And I, I think we probably should have better rules around this, but it doesn't have to be age based. It could be take a driving test. 
take a driving test you know, periodically to make sure you still have your driving skills. So now you want to, would we test senators to make sure they're still at a certain age, you have to take well, a I test. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know what kind of test you have to, you can give to say, can you still legislate? But we, we have driving tests already. You, you can't get a driver's license in the first place without passing a driver's test. Yeah. Um, I haven't you, taken one in a long time, Bill. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe we, maybe that should be done more periodically to weed out people who no longer can drive safely. Uh, but driving is not like voting. You need to have a, you have a base level of competency to show you're being safe on the road. Um, I don't know what kind of what kind of test you could give that would meet that mark to say you you now can legislate safely or not legislate safely or vote safely or not vote safely. I think you know term limits would help this problem. It would, and it avoids having to get into the age thing. I mean, look, if you get elected for the first time, if the if the voters decide to elect you for the first time at the age of eighty, which means you could still be in Congress until you're eighty six. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come there. But I do think term limits would address this gerontocracy problem. Well, but but crudely and with, and with other side effects, other other downside risk. Yes, uh, there are trade-offs, of course, to everything. And as you know, Bill, for many years, I was very much opposed to term limits uh, because of some of those trade-offs. But um Look around, man. Are things so great right now in terms of our elected officials? Honestly, I, I, I actually, I, I don't like that uh, conclusion. I feel people say that a lot. We talk as if like everything's falling apart all around us. We've actually had a pretty good run of stable government. I mean, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of nonsense that goes with it. But we don't breach our debt limit. We haven't had a government shutdown. I mean, maybe one's coming. In the fall, but I, I would imagine if one does, it's, I would bet it's not going to be protracted. I don't think either McCarthy or McConnell uh, want a protracted shutdown. It's a question of how much steam do you got to let these guys on the free, on the far right get out of their system before you you seal the deal. Yeah, uh, we've passed a bunch of good legislation. Uh, we've we've we have contained it, we're containing inflation. The Federal Reserve is doing its job. There's lots of things happening out that are indicative of normal government. I don't. Have, I don't have. I personally have a sense of like a bunch of doddering fools are running the show and steering us into the abyss. Like things are actually you know relatively okay right now. Well, I mean, and I would say that you know it's not like there are great options. I mean, Vivek may be young, but I don't think that's a trade up. I don't. You know, uh, there's not a lot of great young people, which is which is why Joe Biden is. I mean, how still- how many young people? Do we have now who you would not give the keys to the car? George Many. Santos, uh, Stefanik. Uh, I mean, to, just to be even handed here, would you would you want AOC president? Would you want Cory Bush president? You know, Madison Cawthorn is even there anymore. Uh, there's plenty of people on the left and the right where you would say, you know what, maybe you need, maybe you need a little more wisdom before you know you get to run the show. Uh, Fair point. Okay, you have to be uh, between the ages of of fifty and sixty. Uh, to be president. That's now, you know. Did you see the AOC interview in the New York Times yesterday? No, I did not. So she did a she did a full interview, and you know I, I don't want to overstate this, but there was I mean there's there's definitely there's some complaint on the left that she's become a, a sellout that she's become an establishment Democrat, uh, and and look I thought for the longest time 
that she had no interest in being a lifer in the house. She didn't want. She didn't want to learn the game. She wanted to lead a movement. Um, she would want to run for president someday, whether win or lose, just to like take the torch from Bernie and like build out the socialist uh, uh, grassroots. Uh, and you're, you you get a sense from that interview that maybe she doesn't want to stick around the house for for a while. That she is getting accustomed to uh, how to make. Uh, how to move things in her direction from the inside. I mean, I'm not saying I, I can know for an absolute fact she's not going to retire in a term or two, but she's there. There's, and, I, and I, I, I'm not looking at it, so I'm not. I can't pull out a particular quote, but you got the sense that she, she is sort of openly talking about her evolution, her growth, and her understanding of how to uh, make politics work and be effective. Uh, and maybe she does want to. Uh, build up that seniority and and get more things done, you know, uh, in in the weeds of the system. Uh, could be. Some of us may see that as a, a positive sign. I'm sure your friends on the left see that as they're being a sellout, being co-opted by the man. Um, but it is interesting because you don't know who is going to um, rise to the occasion and actually want to buckle down and learn and grow versus who uh, just wants to get attention and buzz. Like I, I thought Sarah Palin should have gone back to Alaska, been governor, and uh, gone to school, boned up on, for, you know, foreign policy and and economics and all sorts of things. And um, she didn't put in the work. Mm-hmm. She wanted to get the attention and the applause and yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think I, I haven't seen AOC do a big showboaty grandstanding type thing in some time. Um, just I haven't gone back and researched it where I, how, how, how I would define that and pinpoint the last day. I think something like that happened, but I just, I haven't felt that or noticed it uh, as of late. Uh, and you know, that's why uh, it's always hard to know when you elect an outsider type person, how they're going to function once they are inside? Yeah. Are they are they going to grow and learn over time, or are they going to resist learning? Uh, I mean, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, I'd be hard pressed to say that she's in a, in a in that much of a growth place. Um, just so I said and done plenty of things that I find horrific, uh, but there is this bit of a gap that's formed. Yeah. Between her and other freedom, I mean, she got kicked out of the Freedom Caucus. Yeah, Laura, Laura, Laura Loomer attacks her all the time. Yeah, or she's you know supported Kevin McCarthy, who was seen as the establishment candidate running for speaker, and so she, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, went up went up against Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates in that battle, as you'll recall. Right. So. Is she just is she just an opportunist who wants to stay close to power but hasn't really changed anything you know deep inside or is there a part where it's like you know what you know breaching the debt limit would have been bad we shouldn't do that and so I'm going to help McCarthy on this uh, I honestly don't know but you know me you know, Biden said just this week and I think someone tried to make it sound like it was Biden you know losing his mind again but he was saying something accurate uh, that he had convinced Strom Thurmond to pass the Civil Rights Act. And people who were ignorant thought he meant the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which Thurmond filibustered, but he meant the 1990 or 91 Civil Rights Act uh, towards the end of his career uh, on George H.W. Bush's uh, watch that Strom Thurmond did uh, vote for. Um, You know, 
people can change. You know, Robert Byrd, you know, it's, it was a lot different on race at the end of his career, at the beginning of his career. Uh, so I, I'm not saying I'm hopeful that Taylor Green's on some glorious journey and we're going to be proud of her in you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, but you never quite know how people are going to change once they get inside the building. Indeed. All right. Probably a good place to uh, call it a day, Bill. Uh, uh, and so next week, normal week for us next week? I think so. I think it Labor Day plans? Um, yes. I am doing something that, um, that I've done once before, which is rent a swimming pool. Hmm. Um, do you know there's a, an app? It's called Swimly or something. I do not know this. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like the way that you can um, call an Uber. You can go on this app and you can book a swimming pool. Like it's like a private residence. So it's like someone who owns, usually they'll have like um, a deck or, or and a changing room that is designated for this. But it's a, a, a normal person's house usually. And um, they will rent out their swimming pool for by the hour. So you can rent it out for a few hours. Um, we've done it once before and it was awesome. And it's supposed to be like 95 degrees and oh, it's going to feel like it's 100 degrees here on Labor Day. So uh, we're going to probably do that. And it's an interesting thing. I think there's some you know, question about... I'm sure hotels and country clubs are trying to shut down this app, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if it catches on. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I'm actually I'm actually moving, Matt. I'm moving next door, um, so my weekend is going to be spent moving stuff. Um, we're doing a thing where uh, I'm, we're moving next door, and I'm moving my mother into this house, or we, we live next door to each other. Um, so when you see me next week, I'll, there'll be a different backdrop. So uh, I'll have a different room while I'm doing my business in. So I got that going on. Uh, another big milestone uh, for my family this weekend, uh, my younger daughter's uh, first football game as a cheerleader. Cool. Um, so if you asked me, you know, 10 years ago what I would be doing, you know, going seeing my daughter cheerleader was not on my list, but that's that's what I'll be doing. Yeah, my youngest boy is playing flag football. Um, and we had resisted getting him involved even in that because we don't want them to play tackle football. Right. Right. Um, but he has, he's loves it. Do they wear wear helmets for flag football? They do not wear helmets. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, he absolutely loves it. We haven't had any games yet, just practices, but it's the first time we've tried to get him in other sports and get him excited about things. And it's the first time that now he's like basically training for this. So uh, it's fun to watch. So does your older son do sports? Yeah, he plays tennis. He plays, he played on a basketball team. Um, They used to, I remember I coached little league a couple years ago during, during COVID. You've you've been a sports dad already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I got roped into coaching. You may remember, I just, I volunteered to be an assistant coach and I showed up and they're like, congrats, you're now the manager of this team. Um, so I don't know if you remember, but at a certain point I would like wake up in the middle of the night with like a s- sweating and being like, 
Will's going to start on third base and Caden's going to be my shortstop. And then, you know, I literally had this, um, this dry erase board that looked like a baseball diamond where I could like write in the names of players. And there's all these rules because you can't, there's like a pitch count and you can't have a kid on the bench more than one inning at a time. So there's a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy now to be, um, uh, the father of a player who is in no way involved. <laughs> otherwise, All right. Well, you have a good weekend, Matt. You too. Uh, and I will see you in the DMZ next week. You got it. Happy Labor Day. See you guys.